You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. I would look at the technicals on gold. The technicals still look very good. It's in an up channel. That up channel points to 2000 plus. I think the best opportunities are to spend a, a lot of time investing in, in these junior companies and, and up-and-coming companies and companies that are cat, catalyst-rich. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers, and joining me today is the CEO of Sprott Incorporated, Peter Groskop. Peter, thanks for joining me. We did have an opportunity to chat when I interviewed both you and Rick at the Sprott Symposium last summer. I appreciate your time today. And as we have seen really unprecedented occurrences within the last four to six weeks with a worldwide pandemic and what that has done to the markets, uh, my first question for you is, have you been expecting something like this? And how do you prepare for black swan events at Sprott Incorporated? Sure. Well, first of all, good morning, Bill, and and thanks for talking to us again. It's always a pleasure. So uh, were we expecting this? Um, Well, certainly not exactly this. We had no idea there would be um, a medical emergency globally, nor nor did we um, understand all of the various implications of that in the markets. But I can tell you that For the last two years, we have been warning our clients that we thought that not only were financial markets getting extremely overextended, not only was debt building uh, to record levels globally on every level, consumer, corporate, and uh, national sovereign, um, but uh, we also saw uh, stressful signs that um, bond markets were starting to come under pressure that valuation uh, multiples and and loan de- lending deals, et cetera, were, were getting really out of hand. And that the system was now completely dependent on rescue by the Federal Reserve and other central banks. It basically became 100% a liquidity game. And so in that environment, um, you've got no cushion for shock. And what happened is we all got a shock and then as it rolled through the markets, it hit us much worse than anybody thought something could. So it became a black swan event, but the markets had been set up for that for the last two to three years and maybe the last 10. Regarding the general equities, do you believe that this was simply the pin that popped the bubble or as some are hoping that the general equities could continue to soar higher? Well, it's the pin that pricked the bubble for sure. And um, the games that had been going on with equities were, in our view, almost ridiculous. That is the uh, constant momentum trading by uh, machine, computer, algo-driven trading and uh, ETFs that were just basically marketing machines for the large investment firms. Um, this has just gotten completely out of hand. So. That's not to say that there isn't good value in a lot of stocks long term. We we believe that uh, to be a a good investor, you have to step in when uh, times are tough and you can buy at better valuations. So uh, I think we're not there yet, but we will get to one of those times in the next next year. What are you looking for to determine if that reflation trade has come about and we as gold investors can really start to expect to see some significant inflation? Well, and I think that's a great question for gold investors. The ironic um, 
truth about gold is that it reacts well in uh, severely deflationary environments, which we have right now. We have a deflationary shock going on. And it also reacts well in inflationary times when it uh, saves purchasing power for investors against fiat currencies. Um, I, I think the question is a great one right now. It's the central question to gold investing, which is when are we going to flip from deflation to inflation? And when, as a gold investor, do I know that we're safely in that transition period? And I would point to two or three different markers for that. Number one, I would look at the technicals on gold. The technicals still look very good. It's in an up channel. That up channel points to 2000 plus. And as many times chart traders will tell you, um, the technicals don't lie. Secondly, uh, we look at the massive liquidity programs that central banks have put on the table. I mean, they're unprecedented and we have no idea um, how markets get comfortable with them. Uh, it, it's kind of like uh, there's a fire um, and it's caused by too much debt. So let's just go ahead and throw all this gasoline on the fire and we'll somehow get to the other side. Um, it, it, I'm not saying it's not going to work. Eventually, the liquidity needs of the market will be met. And then with a return to health of um, you know the population and also the economy, then you're going to have some serious inflationary pressures. So I would say later this year, it's going to start. What type of feedback have you been getting from your high net worth clients? High net worth is definitely interested in gold. Um, they, they generally weren't changing their portfolios to adapt to the increasing risks in the market. They were comfortable with the 60-40 equity bond mix. That had worked for them. You know, when something works, even when you're looking at potentially um, a correction, you generally don't want to pay for insurance. So most high net worth investor did, did, did not want to buy a lot of gold, did not want to think they needed a hedge. But that's, that, that was starting to be tested last year. So we saw high net worth coming in. We saw a lot of buying on the ETFs. And uh, that has now been accelerated. I think m more people are generally willing to look at gold as an area where they need some assets as opposed to this is just a neat fringe trade for me. Is there anything you can share specifically about the demographics of the type of gold buyer that you see coming into the market now? Yes, it's changing. Um, it used to be that gold bugs were generally, um, you know, pardon my saying, but, you know, old, white and uh, relatively rich in terms of their um, backgrounds. And um, that has definitely changed. Now we're looking at uh, various different buyer sets. You're looking at a, a different demographic, households that are younger, that are willing to put a little bit of money into gold and hold it. And you're also looking at professional investors across the board, sovereigns, uh, endowments, high net worth investors who are much younger. They're running as professionals, large funds, they're sophisticated. They never believed in gold in the past. And now I think the portfolio insurance math has them intrigued and they're starting to allocate towards gold. So we're seeing a completely different, more broad, more broad spread buyer base. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. 
Orn Resources is a junior exploration company with the appetite of a major, focused on finding the next globally significant discovery to create enormous potential upside for shareholders. It's one of the most aggressive exploration companies pursuing high-grade, scalable gold and copper deposits and has a premier seven-project portfolio including its two flagships, Committee Bay in the Arctic and Sombrero in Peru. With Orin's unparalleled technical team and highly experienced management with a history of success in advancing and monetizing exploration assets, Orin has been called one of the best in the junior exploration sector. Orin trades on the TSX and NYSE under the ticker AUG. To learn more, go to orinresources.com. That's A-U-R-Y-N resources.com. Have you been able to access physical precious metals? Because as you know, there's been speculated that there was a commercial signal failure failure in the COMEX and the Swiss refineries are shut down. Gold mines across the globe are shutting down. Uh, what has that done t- for your business? Well, it's spurred interest in our physical products because we've always run all of our gold um, funds as being 100% physically gold backed. That was our differentiator. I, I think that's uh, proven to have been a virtuous goal. And what I'd say is, is two things. First of all, short run. Um, we don't think that short run investors need to be panicked about physical not being there. There's six trillion or so of above ground gold reserves and even though they may not be in the right form for deliveries against COMEX shorts, or if they are not being pressed into coins right now by refineries that can't operate or mints that can't operate, eventually that physical liquidity will return. So in the short run, I think you can rest assured you don't need to bring any Brinks trucks to your house. Um, in the long run, what this does is it lays bare the fact that there's two types of gold. There's physical and there's paper. And paper gold is cheaper. It's more liquid. It's easier to buy on leverage. And um, occasionally investors have a preference for it. That preference will be sorely tested now by these markets. I think that investors are going to swing to the physical products and say, I don't need to play any of those games with with those nonsense paper products. I just don't want to take the risk. I don't want to have a counterparty in the financial system. And so get me physical. So I, I think long term, it will be a slow and steady drip from those levered products, non physically backed products into physically backed box. That, that, that was kind of essential for gold to the thesis to play out. And I think it's going to happen long-term. So I think it's going to create a very good underpinning to the physical market. Do you have any thoughts on the extreme nature that we've seen recently in the past month uh, in the gold-silver ratio and when silver might begin to outperform? Actually, fairly predictable. Silver is the poor man's gold. Um, Also, it is an industrial product where two-thirds of the market is um, driven by industrial demand and supply, as well as jewelry. So when the economy came off as quick as it did during the crisis, it was predictable that silver buyers would pull back and that there would be what looked like a supply glut to the market. As well, the backdrop was monetary buyers for silver had gone on vacation. As the poor man's gold, there really weren't a lot of silver bugs that were accumulating 
lot, lots of silver. So the monetary demand was pretty low. Coins were pretty low. All that changed when Peru and Mexico shut down their production, in my view. That balanced the physical markets in silver. And now you've got this same underpinning that gold has witnessed, which is investors rolling out of paper contracts and into physical. And third, and the one that's needed, gold goes on a run. Silver always runs more than gold. The monetary demand for silver, when it comes in, absolutely swamps the market. I think we're at the very, very early stages of that happening right now. I think we're in the first inning. You recently completed in January the acquisition of Tocqueville Gold Strategies. Uh, can you give us an update on that? And have you seen inflows in the last month into this fund? Yes, uh, the, the acquisition closed smoothly. We spent um, a lot of time and I owe our team uh, a lot of thanks for working extremely hard to integrate the Sprott name into that whole Tocqueville distribution uh, franchise along with all their clients. So extremely well done. Um, I think that uh, there were very few uh, flows into gold funds over the last few years, and we just started to see the inflows in the last month or two. So it's starting again, first innings, gold stocks took a pretty big hit with the liquidity vacuum that happened during March, and I think buyers stepped back. Now they're starting to come in. Where are your fund managers seeing the best opportunities in the gold sector right now? Uh, definitely in the catalyst-rich uh, junior and intermediate companies. So we are big believers that the mining industry will continue to consolidate. Uh, the juniors lost their bid entirely during March and sank to, in many cases, under liquidation values. I think their boards are taking things a little more seriously. You're seeing um, most boards starting to eliminate the process of management of a junior as being a lifestyle business. So boards are coming in hard and saying, look, if, if we can sell the company uh, for twice the current trading price, then you know we need to consider it. So we think the juniors will start to get a catalyst from M&A bids. We also think they're trading at half their intrinsic values because in many cases, the, at least for the quality names, in many cases, they, they suffer from a high cost of capital, but their minds will make lots of money at these gold prices. On the lending side, side of your business, are you still funding single asset developers or are you looking for at least two assets within a company before you'll uh, divvy out the loan? No, we'll, we'll take a chance on a project development. So definitely not just multiple mine companies. As long as the project is a sound project and it's properly financed. You know, we're not a distressed lender. We're not a leveraged lender. So we're just looking for, for good developments and we'll definitely take uh, an interest in a single mine development project or, or operating project. In my country here in the States, uh, there's been deferral of interests uh, for student loans as well as mortgages uh, from the highest level of our, of our government. Uh, how has the, the payments to Sprott Lending been affected over the last month? Well, I can I can say that we've we've had a couple of very very small situations. In fact, the probably the smallest that we've backed, uh, who have noticed a dry up in their liquidity, and they their projects may may stall out here for a bit. But other than that, our lending clients are broadly speaking very healthy because they have 
bigger margins now than they've ever had. So they're doing well. One aspect of your recent conference call that I listened to talked about a two to $300 million undrawn capital for new streaming and royalty strategy. Can you elaborate a little upon this? Well, last year we did complete, uh, generally speaking, complete the fundraising for about 1.3 billion US of, of new commitments for that area. And even though we've been busy deploying, I would say that uh, cash drawn down is probably less than 200 million. Cash committed is probably less than 300. So we have almost a billion U.S. in undrawn commitments there. And when uh, I've seen quotes where you've said you compare Sprott to a management company that earns a royalty from your assets under management, uh, could you elaborate a little more? What do you mean when you say that? Well, we we earn an operating margin, which we measure as EBIT. Uh, some analysts measure as EBITDA. There's not that much difference in our case. And if you can think about that, it's an EBIT that's driven mostly by not our expenses, because our expenses are quite small and, you know, in, in, in again, a general context, quite fixed. But that margin is, <clears throat> excuse me, driven by the the value of our gold under management and the value of our gold equities under management. So the higher gold goes, the higher that margin goes. And as such, we do function like a royalty company, except our royalty isn't on gold ounces produced. It's on gold ounces managed. And um, we see that as being very sticky, very predictable base uh, cash flow. And then if we do a great job for clients and gold stocks finally start to perform as they may in a bull market, we can earn performance fees on top of that. So we're kind of like a leveraged royalty on a very large gold asset portfolio. As you look over the rest of 2020, we still have about eight months. Uh, what are the best opportunities out there for the rest of the year for Sprott? I think the best opportunities are to spend a, a lot of time investing in in these junior companies and and up-and-coming companies and companies that are catalyst rich because um, the multiples they could generate and the returns on investment are quite large so we want to grow our equities funds and and deploy more of our clients money into those situations you've been listening to peter Grosskop, ceo of sprott incorporated website is sprott.com peter thanks for coming on money stock education today i appreciate it okay thank you for having me and i hope you do well in this environment as well bill Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated. 
because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met, you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.